Hi, this is Jen with Bright Families. Today's podcast is about helping your teen to lose some weight. Now, right off the bat, I'll say, if it's a question of a little bit of love handles or maybe a few extra pounds, it's probably going to be very few levers that you need to pull to make that happen. If it's a question of more significant weight that's accumulated, you know, 30, 40 pounds or more that's kind of accumulated over several years or just a personal lifestyle of being kind of sedentary or really enjoying carbs, then it's going to be a little more of a long-term process. Now, of course, you don't want to encourage your kid and you don't really want to model doing drastic things. You don't want to get on this, you know, on the diet, off the diet kind of hamster wheel. You want to model and figure out what's going to be a long-term system for this kid for a lifetime or years or a decade that's going to work for them. And it doesn't have to work overnight. So one of the obvious things is maybe there's a sport, but often how, how this happens is you have a kid that is a little introverted, maybe a little uncoordinated, maybe you were too busy to have them in sports for a while. And you kind of missed a window, and now they would be a little behind the curve entering a sport where the other kids would be much more experienced and they feel very self-conscious. So there's a variety of reasons why organized sports might not be a good fit. But if you have a kid who's even willing to try a few months or a season of something, that's a pretty easy way to pull this lever. Maybe it's a little bit of community basketball. Maybe it's a season of swim team or track. So if you have a kid that is basically okay at fitness, but you feel like they need a little bit more of a challenge or they just need something to fill the time that's not going to be reading or video games or whatever sedentary thing they're normally doing, then by all means, figure out how to get them into a sport. But for some kids, the pressure of the sport outweighs the camaraderie. And so it's not as fun as you would hope. For those kids, something like a gym membership where they can go swimming or lift weights or do something where it's just themselves, maybe hiking, maybe walking the dog, maybe taking bike rides. There's a lot of other kind of solo things. If you have a kid that's more of an introvert and basically just wants some time alone, maybe away from all the busyness of the family, that could be your way of approaching getting them more active. Now, I'll give a couple of examples and also some of the research that I've been uh, familiar with about the process of improving metabolism in a teenager. So one example was a family that had many kids and just one of the kids had this tendency, she'd accumulated some extra weight. I think she just ate a little bit more than all of her siblings and was a little less active and snacked more. And, you know, it had just accumulated to the point where it was maybe 30 or 40 extra pounds. And she was tall enough that she she didn't look terrible. She had nice skin. She was still a very pretty girl, very sweet personality. But she had expressed to her mom that she felt self-conscious about the way she looked. And so before they went to college... Before she was going to go to college, she and her mom kind of came up with a plan. And her mom said, okay, you got to 
swap your regular lunches for a salad each day. Make sure your lunch or dinner, you need a salad. You can't have two helpings of enchiladas right now. Just, you know, one helping and then a big salad. Now, this wasn't necessary for her to do for any of her other kids, but she just kind of set this up for this one kid that had the metabolic need for more fiber and other things to fill her up. And then she also told this daughter, you got to get on the treadmill every day because they live someplace where the weather wasn't great. So you couldn't rely on getting outside every day. So she said, get on the treadmill every day for 45 minutes or an hour. Just walk, you know, listen to your books for school or watch some fun show and reward yourself or whatever. Just like most moms do, just like many moms do. And so You know, by the end of that school year, before she went off to college, she had lost the weight. And that's, those are the main levers she pulled. She didn't do anything really drastic. She just kind of kept slowly evolving her habits and she's kept it off all the way through college. She had just changed her habits, changed her habits long-term and she knew for herself she needed to eat more salads than she had eaten when she was younger. But once she got in the habit, it was fine. And then, you know, at college, you have the salad bar and it totally worked. Now, the research indicates in general that eating more protein tends to be good for your metabolism because it builds your muscle mass. It fills you up from eating so many carbs And it tends to keep you full for longer, keeps your blood sugar steadier, so you're less impulsive about eating. Although, of course, if you're a teenager, you're still going to be hungry between meals, in many cases, even if you eat protein. I do know teenagers that eat a ton of protein that have very steady blood sugar, and they can routinely go either between breakfast and lunch or between lunch and dinner with no snack. But not every day. Depends how active they are. Now... Specifically, <clears throat> there's certain foods that are particularly difficult for your metabolism to stay on top of unless you're extremely active. So things like soda that have a lot of sugar in a small quantity of liquid, when you drink a soda, and it's not usually just one can, if you get it from a fast food place, you know, it's two or more cans worth of soda. Even one can of soda has 10 teaspoons of sugar and it goes in to your bloodstream quite fast. Part of what signals the weight gain as a result of eating too much sugar is how fast does your blood sugar rise? So if you were to have a soda with a huge salad and a big chunk of protein In the context of that whole meal, your blood sugar is not going to rise that fast. But if you have a soda with a bunch of chips or with nothing just by itself, your blood sugar is really rising quickly. And so the slope of that curve, basically, if you think about it in algebraic terms, the steepness of that rise in your blood sugar, the concentration of sugar in your blood is what tells your body, hey, we've got spare sugar, we can store this, and this is how humans survived through bad winters for a long, long time. So it's something that our metabolisms do very well when we hit a certain concentration of calories overall and and then more approximately the level of sugar in our blood. There's a great podcast with Rick Johnson about this 
he has a very long book, but I think the podcast interview of him on The Drive with Peter Atia is a great overview of how this works metabolically. It's super interesting. It's about two hours. It is much, much less time than reading his book. So I'd recommend you kind of just go into that. But one of the experiments he describes is improving the metabolic health of teenagers who were beginning to have fatty liver diseases because they were eating way too many carbs and they were sedentary. And they just cut out the obvious sugar. They didn't cut out the rice, the potatoes, the beans, the bread. They only cut out like the soda and cookies. And the kids in the course of a few months didn't lose weight, but they felt much better and their metabolic markers looked tremendously better. Now, of course, if they kept it up, they probably would have lose weight, lost weight too. But right off the bat, you could see tremendous metabolic improvements. And I believe he said their body composition improved even though they didn't lose weight, which is, of course, often the case. When you're a teenager and you are chock full of hormones, you're going to put on muscle very readily if you're getting enough calories and protein. And so your body composition can change quite a bit because of how readily you put on muscle, even when you're not doing that much working out. And then your weight will not necessarily change, even though the look and the way your clothes fit will most definitely change. So from looking at the families I know, there's, there's really no metabolic mystery about why some families have many children who are overweight. It's usually the case that they're simply eating less protein overall for at each meal. And Over years, if you have a a kind of a sedentary, calm family that's not super sporty, and there's no moral judgment there, that's just your family style, it's totally fine. But if you have that kind of family life that's very calm and very bookish, in many cases, if you eat a ton of carbs and a pretty significant amount of fat and very little protein, you will become overweight. That's just the metabolic reality of it. Because you won't build the same kind of muscle if you aren't getting as much protein. Therefore, your whole metabolism will be slower. And often, and often those kids tend to be a little bit anemic. Um, so they're just feeling less energetic and less motivated to move their bodies. So, for example, a meal that is, you know, roast chicken and vegetables, and then some kind of dessert like cheesecake is going to hit your metabolism very, very differently than pizza and chips and soda. Just because the overall carb to fat to protein ratio is going to be so different. And there, of course, are nights where we eat pizza and soda, um, or just pizza and some kind of beverage. Um, But the families who routinely eat in those proportions often end up with many children who are overweight. In the case of a family where most of the kids look fine and then maybe one of them ends up overweight, it tends to be more of just that kid's personal habits. It can also be just a pattern before they go through their next growth spurt. Some kids become noticeably heavy or kind of soft looking or they get little wrist creases right before they go through a growth spurt. So they're putting on 
you know, five or 10 pounds, and then it seems like they grow kind of overnight. And you don't want to agonize about that too much. If you can see that this has been a process with your kids, then that is not worth agonizing about if that's just how your their body is doing it. And there are families where they have a soda every day and, and nothing happens. You know, my husband grew up in a family like that, but they also had eggs every single morning for breakfast and cold cuts or tuna or thick slices of cheese on a sandwich every single day for lunch and pieces of chicken every night for dinner. And they had the soda with something like a hot dog. So they have pretty fast metabolisms genetically. And also if you look at the overall protein to carb to fat ratio, it makes sense why one soda a day in the context of plenty of protein overall would not be a metabolism wrecker for anyone in the family. So the takeaway there is you just need to eat enough protein uh, for whatever carbs you're going to have. And I mean, soda is a hard thing to regulate with families. So that's another reason moms don't buy it. Same with juice. It's just easy. It spikes your blood sugar quickly. So if you have a kid who's going to have that tendency to put on weight, then you're you know, going to want to skip it or just only buy it occasionally. But the other thing is just really look at the proportions of carbs, protein, and fat. Sometimes you don't need to change what your kid's eating. You just need to change the proportions. So two eggs and one piece of toast can be very different from one egg and two pieces of toast. If you have a kid that is not lean and they're already kind of carb sensitive because they're just a little overweight or they're kind of sedentary, two eggs and one piece of toast is going to be way better than one egg and two pieces of toast. It's going to keep their blood sugar steady longer. You can start or finish a meal with salad or veggie snacks. In my experience, finishing with vegetables works just as well as starting with vegetables in terms of having my blood sugar feel fine. I think there's a good case to be made that starting with vegetables is better. I think if you look at the people's blood sugar meters, it looks better. But in terms of how I feel, it seems about the same. Particularly if I'm very hungry before a meal, I'm going to sit down and eat one serving of whatever it is that I'm very hungry for, and I'm going to totally enjoy it, the enchiladas or whatever. And then it's only been five or 10 minutes because I ate it kind of fast, but I'm still feeling kind of munchy, but I'm not truly hungry. That's a great place to have a salad Partly to just get you to that 20 minute mark where you really sense how full you are and to finish filling you up on all that fiber. But either way, it could also just be a carrot. You could say, hey, um, why don't you have a carrot before you sit down for dinner? Or, you know, in general, just having vegetables for snacks is good in that sense. And, you know, if you're going to have it with dip or whatever, that's fine if that helps them eat the carrot. I don't think there is any any logical case to limit potatoes, root vegetables, whole fruit um, because of their carb content. I have never met a person who could for sure, who could honestly say that that's how they gained their weight. Those are not, they're not easy foods to binge on to the extent that you could put on weight with those foods. If you have a kid with a truly 
truly dysregulated metabolism, extremely overweight, there could be a case for limiting those things. But in most cases, that is not the problem. It's other things. You know, it's the chips and the potato chips and the highly rewarding foods that it is easy to eat too much of. There's things like smoothies that I think for some kids need to be moderated, uh, depending on how you make your smoothies, but it's still kind of like real fruit. It's definitely different than soda because there is the fiber kind of, you know, ground up in the smoothie. Um, Juice, I'd say, we've gone through phases where we have juice around the house. Mostly we don't. We often mix it half, dilute it by half, or put pour it over a lot of ice. It can be very good for hydrating kids over the summer. So I don't want to be the person that says, don't ever get juice. I think juice has its place. But again, if you have a kid that has a sweet tooth, they're going to eat much more than their fair share when you're not looking. Um, rice and pasta, same thing. These are not bad foods in themselves at all. We need the carbs, but some kids will eat those and never eat the protein, right? Some kids will eat a bowl of rice and never touch the chicken. So then the proportions start to be off. Now for a five or six-year-old that's going through some kind of picky eater phase, this is often not a big deal. But for a 10, 12, 14-year-old, when they're starting to get much more hungry, they are going to eat a huge quantity of pasta if they're too picky to eat the chicken and pasta by itself is not any kind of balanced meal, as we know. So again, just kind of look at the proportions. You don't have to completely change what your family's eating. Just think about how you can entice your kids to eat more protein or make whatever sweets they want or whatever other treats they want contingent on eating protein first. And that was a rule with my husband's family. You had to eat protein before treats. If you didn't eat your protein, you definitely didn't get dessert. And for a teenager, you could just talk to them about proportions or sign them up for a class like mine or put them on some websites or something that talk about proportions so they can see, oh, I don't have to not eat pasta. I just have to eat a big piece of chicken and maybe a little less pasta than I would have picked especially if pasta is one of their favorites. Ultimately, if you're carb sensitive, you're going to need to find which carbs are worth eating. You can't eat all the carbs all the time unless you become much, much more active. And so that's the question for them that they'll discover over a few years of experimenting. And it's the question for you of what can you provide them with that's nutritious steer them towards the more nutrient-dense carbs like the root vegetables and maybe towards less pasta, but it doesn't have to be no pasta. There's also these other red lentil pastas that actually taste pretty interesting and good. They might enjoy those, but they can still have the sauce if it's really that they're eating the pasta for the sauce that's on it. That could be another way to tackle the pasta question. So those are the basics in terms of the big picture of nutrition. Now, I'm coming to the next part about food intolerances and thyroid and the more kind of medical side of things last because I think the first thing to look at is a realistic assessment of what's being eaten and the proportions before you 
think about, oh, maybe they're gluten intolerant, or maybe they're dairy intolerant, or maybe they have a low thyroid. All of those are possibilities. But even if you do have a thyroid problem, you will need to eat more protein and more iron. And that's part of why people end up with thyroid problems is they haven't been eating enough protein and iodine and selenium and iron for years. The food intolerance question, again, I think partly comes from overeating certain things. We tend to eat so much bread and dairy, and it's not very high quality bread and dairy. Also, most people are not going to make the enzymes to digest dairy for their entire lives. Just, you know, that's that's what the research indicates. That's what, how humans seem to be designed to not be dairy eating machines for the duration of their life. If you if you have the genes to tolerate dairy, then great, that's very convenient. But odds are many of your kids don't. And so they may need to drink less milk. They may need to eat less cheese. Or they may not. It may not even be an issue. They may need to eat less bread. But the way I explain this to kids when I'm teaching the health class is it's not that bread is bad. Bread is amazing. It's super fun to eat. High quality bread. It's just that it is easy to eat more bread than you really need. And bite for bite, bread is not as nutritious as fruit and vegetables. And so if you're looking at long-term nutrition you're going to get more from fruit and vegetables than from, you know, store-bought bread. Homemade bread is more nutritious, or it's, it's got less preservatives, less other stuff in it. And so again, think about the question of proportions. Even if you suspect your kid has gluten intolerance, if you can't persuade them to cut it out all the way, there are a lot of other things you can do to move in that direction. And sometimes just moving in the direction of cutting out the foods that they don't tolerate so well will already give you a lot of the benefit because kids are so resilient. So it could be that you just kind of run out of bread, in air quotes, or you run out of milk and they just have to eat more other stuff. Oh, look, there's a pile of apples and cashews on the table. Sorry, we're out of milk. You know, I'll get some tomorrow and just kind of stretch them and just get them to eat more other stuff. And same thing with the bread or just switch to making homemade bread. But again, it doesn't have to always be there. They're going to eat it differently when it's homemade. You might switch to having stuff that's not just sandwiches for lunch, um, like tuna, you know, as a dip with vegetables rather than tuna sandwiches. There's all different things. In terms of the protein to fat to carb ratio, milk is kind of a food in itself. It's got like about a one-to-one -one ratio of carbs to protein. When you have milk with cookies, though, then of course you have a lot more carbs with it. If you have milk with a meal that's pretty balanced in terms of protein to carbs to fat, then the whole meal is going to be fine. So if there's not a dairy intolerance issue, a glass of milk with a meal should not be a deal breaker in terms of the proportion of protein and carbs and fat. But what can tend to happen is kids <clears throat> drink a lot of milk to fill up rather than taking the time to eat food. 
they end up kind of anemic. They don't feel like exercising. There's a different podcast on that. But just to be aware, if you have a kid that loves drinking milk, there could be some other downstream issues that you know, could affect their weight or just their overall energy levels. Now, long term, whatever exercise you can get them to do, if it's yard work that you're paying them for, if it's walking the neighbor's dog, whatever, any exercise that slightly challenges them will increase their mitochondria. And it doesn't have to be their hearts pounding or anything like that. Just a little bit of an elevated heart rate over 30, 40 minutes. You do that a couple times a week, a few times a week, that starts to increase your mitochondria. If you have a teenage boy, I would particularly encourage them to lift weights. Um, not, not super heavy, you don't want to mess up anything and get them injuries, but they usually find it pretty satisfying and it will increase their baseline metabolism. And if you have a kid that puts on weight too readily, they will probably put on muscle very readily as well. It's kind of two sides of the same coin. And so that can be a real silver lining for that kid that tends to be a little on the heavier side. And, you know, girls can also lift weights. It also does help their baseline metabolism. In particular, my experience has been that building my thigh muscles increases my baseline metabolism and gives me much more of the look that I want to have. I don't lose any weight, again, because thighs are a big muscle, but I will will definitely fit my clothes differently, and that's really what girls are going for. So I hope this has been a good overview of some of the different tips and the long-term perspective on how to support your child if they're getting to that point where they're a little self-conscious about how they look, they're expressing some discomfort or shame, and they wish they look differently, and then you are wondering how to help. And sometimes you might feel like you're not a good, great role model. Your kid might not feel like you have credibility You know, if you're not super fit, if you've got some extra weight, he might be like, what do you know? If you know so much, why don't you have a six pack? And there's a lot of good nutrition information out there that's pretty balanced and will steer your kid in the right direction with somebody who's not you giving the advice. So our boys' health classes and our girls' health classes both lay that foundation of having some perspective on nutrition, carb-fat-protein ratios, but we are not saying this food is good, this food is bad. We're talking about finding the right amount and the right proportions for your metabolism, your activity level, and what your goals are for how much weight you'd like to be able to bench press or how much glycogen you need to store before you go on your cross-country run so you don't hit the wall halfway through. So we're talking about it in a very practical sense with a lot of appreciation for what our bodies are doing for us and all the different options we have to get the protein and the nutrition that we need in a really enjoyable way. And I always emphasize to the kids, we are so blessed to live in a place with so many food options. We just don't want to get ahead of what our metabolisms can handle and what our lifestyle is going to actually need 
in terms of calories and nutrition. So take care, everyone. Hope you have a great day.